Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 156. I'm Danielle Delamar. Today I'm re-releasing an interview I did with my friend James Hedges, who at the time of our interview was at Westminster College in Salt Lake City, Utah. There he was the Director of Professional and Continuing Education and Associate Professor of Communication Studies. But now, a year and a half later, James is now Dean of the Division of Online and Continuing Education at Weber State University in Ogden, Utah. And I'm so happy to report that he absolutely loves his new job. And the work that he did at Westminster and all the sort of negotiating for different opportunities for both himself and for the institution he was working for, prepared him perfectly for the job he has now. Um, Much of the work he's doing now is similar to the work he was doing at Westminster, but there's a lot of new stuff too. And one of the things he told us is that when he very first showed up on the Weaver State campus, um, he was asked to make decisions about working from home. Like, what are employees supposed to do? Can they work from home? Can they not work from home? What's the policy? You need to make a decision on that, like ASAP. (laughs) And he was like, oh my gosh, I am the new guy. And that's a really hard decision to make when you haven't been here and people don't know you yet. So I guess that's one challenge of being in an administrative position. I know that My husband is also an administrator and, you know, people don't like you always when you're an administrator. (laughs) But I do want to point out that this is certainly a career option, right? Like if you are faculty and you are curious about administration, it's something that is calling you a bit. Let me just give you permission to explore that right? I mean, I think sometimes we just stamp out all things related to academia because we have had a difficult experience as faculty. And when I think about my time as faculty, you know, we would talk bad about administrators all the time. And I think that kind of trash talk can rub off on you and cut you off from a career opportunity that might actually be really well suited for you. Because you all know that I am all about listening to what you want to do, what you need to do for you. What I do know is that if you are sort of following your heart and you are listening to the signs, you know, from your body, mind, and spirit that are telling you to go in this direction and then that direction and then make a turn here and make a turn there, if you're listening to those signs, You find yourself doing work that fills you up, which means you show up for the people you work with and the people you work for with so much more energy and so much more competence. And the work you put into the world is so much more of a gift 
right, than it is if you are doing something that exhausts you, right? I mean, that's the difference between what my work used to be <laughs> as faculty, where I would go teach a class and literally have to go lay down on the floor in my office to recover. And the work I do now, where I finish a coaching session and I feel energized. I have a much, much stronger sense that I'm making a difference in the world than I did back then. And that has nothing to do with the jobs, right? It has to do with what you are suited for. It has to do with what you want to do, what's in your heart to do, right? I remember reading an article back when my um, daughter was really young. She was like, I don't know, one or two or something. Maybe she was even younger than that. She might've been like an infant. But there was this research that came out that said, you know, kids are better off when their parents are doing what they want to do with issues of childcare. So, so it was like, if a parent wants to stay home with their child, it's better for the child. If a parent wants to go to work and put their child in a childcare facility, that's better for the child, right? And so it was whatever you wanted to do, whatever the parent wants to do is the best thing for the child. And I think like that's very similar to just work. Whatever you choose in your job, you're going to be a happier, healthier person who's more effective in their job if you are doing something you actually want to do. And that is very much James's story. In this interview, he talks about all the twists and turns and surprises and the things he tried and the things he failed and the people he met and how he was just willing to walk the path and listen to the signs on the way. And now he has this great job as, as Dean of the Division of Online and Continuing Education. So yeah, take a listen. And if you have thought even just a little bit about administration, you'll find this story enlightening. And even if you haven't thought of administration and you absolutely know it's not for you, James still offers lessons about sort of finding the career or the job that works for you. All right, here is Dr. James Hedges now. Hey, James, how's it going? It's going real well, Danielle. <laughs> And I know you said you were super busy, and so I'm just going to say thank you so much for being here. I know, I know how it goes. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so just so listeners know, James is a friend and has been um, a friend for 20 years almost. Oh, my God. And we have known each other since, you know, Anne, your wife. And Dan, my husband, were in the same cohort at in PhD program at the University of Utah. So we have had this um, sort of friendship that has evolved. Um, he married Anne. I married Dan. We, we had two kids. You guys had two kids. <laughs> we do golf trips when it, there's not COVID going on. Um, <laughs> We know each other well. That's what I want everyone to know. We know each other very well. And what was funny to me is I was in a coffee shop last week and I was like, you know what? James would be a really good person to interview. Why have I not thought of this before? 
<laughs> because you have this position that just has always felt really vague to me and confusing. Like you started as a tenure track faculty member and then this you have this weird vague uh job and i don't really know what your duties are and dan kind of tries to tell me what those are and he doesn't really do a good job and so <laughs> we need to talk about it <laughs> what do you have to say Anything well to say? It, 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 so much. it's funny you bring that up because recently uh, a colleague of mine the person who's in charge of retention and student success on our campus um you know called me on the phone and she said you know, I've heard of some really weird stuff going on. So I figured I should start with you because anything that I don't understand on this campus usually involves you in your office. So, <laughs> um, and, and she's not wrong. Uh, she's not wrong at all. So um, it's, it's, yeah, it's heavily ironic that you, uh, that you introduce it me that way. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's really good to hear because I think that the this sort of uh, what you talked about with you before the recording started, you said, look, I've sort of created my own position. Yeah. Um, and and you said <laughs> and just now you were like the really weird stuff that's going on, you know, about or you're at the center of. Is it because you're paving your own way and just sort of doing it your way? Is that what's happening? Partially. Um, you know, a lot of it is the function of a lot of turnover at the top of our organizational chart and you know larger higher education forces that have forced small liberal arts colleges like Westminster that I work at to change and to change pretty darn fast mm -hmm. um, in response to market forces and I am considered one of the innovators on the campus and so as people look um, toward change and change management, uh, invariably they come to me to discuss um, how we might fit as an institution within the larger higher ed landscape. And so um, I, you know, that's, that's one of my informal jobs uh, is to stay in touch with cabinet members and deans um, and, and kind of like help them understand our positionality and our identity um, within a rapidly changing, uh, you know, landscape. Okay, so what is what has changed the most, and what are you all trying to keep up with? You know, um, I think there is a strong feeling higher ed is slow to change uh, traditionally. Uh, if you look at um, you know, the Carnegie model, and if you're familiar with some of the, the studies of, of Harvard and a lot of the uh, principles that Harvard gave higher ed that have been imitated and borrowed uh, by universities across the country, um, many of those foundations are cracking, if not mm -hmm. altogether crumbling. Uh, and it's making us question um, how we deliver education in today's environment. Uh, you know, there's been massive innovations and, and disruptions uh, in the last 25 years. And colleges, I think, have, um, you know, experienced an identity crisis, maybe multiple in, in that time period. 
and where they kind of have to think about how to reinvent themselves because we know that the market has shifted and there is, you know, lower population rates, uh, fertility rates have dropped. So we can expect fewer people in the coming years to, to attend higher education. The value of a higher education degree has diminished over time uh, with the millennial and, uh, you know, zennial sensibility that, you know, questioning, do they even need higher education to be successful? Uh, you know, it, it, and, and I'm not even addressing the massive changes that online education has brought to uh, the academy. So um, there's been a lot of soul searching going on. Um, mm -hmm. And our institution is no different. And as a result, we've gone through massive changes, um, you know, four presidents and five different provosts in the last seven years. And that constant churning and, um, you know, turnover has uh, really made us question kind of our identity and our mission and how do we move forward and serve the, the populations that now exist out there. And there's no you know, there's no right answers and there's no certainties. And that's a, that's a tough pill for higher ed to swallow. So. Uh, mm -hmm. And so tell me where I'm wrong. It sounds like you're somebody who's willing to, I had my, my old chair at UM Flint would say the best thing you can do is run to a problem and give it a hug. And is that sort of what you're doing? You're not, you're not one of those people who's staying in the corner and going, please don't change. Please don't change. Please don't change. You're running yeah. toward the problem. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I see how things are shifting um, nationally. I see how the market is reacting to some of the things that we're doing. And I know, I, I have a firm belief that we need to change to better align ourselves with the markets we serve. And uh, getting people on board with that is an incredible challenge in higher education. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, you need administrative support, you need faculty support, you need, um, you ultimately need resources. You need resources to make some of these necessary changes, but that's a scary proposition, right? Investing in something that is not a certainty um, or not the way you've always done it, um, that's scary. And yeah. it, it takes a leap of faith at some, at some point, uh, in addition to all the support from those different constituents. And aligning all of that is an incredible task. And, and, and quite frankly, it's too great of a task for, for many. Um, and we've seen the closures of different small colleges as a result. Um, they just can't keep operating the same way they used to. Okay. And so your role as director of professional and continuing education, um, seeks to, to sort of weave these things together, find admin support, faculty support resources. Is, is that what I'm understanding? Yes. Um, okay. so it's, you know, I, I have, I, 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 I inhabit a very unique position because I came from the faculty. So I have some, some faculty cred, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I can interact with the faculty and um, I, I sit on Dean's council. Uh, ironically, I'm the only person in that room that's not a Dean or the provost. Um, okay. But, you know, I'm, 
I, I, I interact with, um, with them regularly um, because they need to be aware of everything that's going on. Uh, I, my job uh, is, you know, to look at new, I mean, you know, technically, you know, here's, here's the elevator pitch. I would say if someone asked me, um, what is your current job? Uh, currently, I support all of our online and competency-based programs. I work in conjunction with the deans in the respective schools uh, to um, make sure there's quality control in those programs. Uh, I am in charge of that quality assurance, and I work with the faculty directly and the department chairs to ensure that uh, we have quality standards that are consistent with um, industry and with, uh, you know, competency-based uh, models. Uh, I am in charge of corporate and institutional partnerships uh, that goes everywhere from uh, providing, uh, you know, certificates and uh, to different companies that articulate into degree programs to pathways from uh, community colleges into degree programs. Uh, I also am in charge of creating, supporting, and delivering all micro-credential certificates and non-credit trainings. And um, a lot of the work that I do cuts across campus with these articulation agreements. Um, and so I regularly interact with um, accounting to do financial analyses of all of my programs to make sure they are covering costs and overhead uh, and making a, a certain uh, you know, profit margin. Uh, I work with financial aid to make sure that people like military personnel um, can use their VA benefits uh, through GI Bill and cool funding. I work very closely with admissions and recruiting uh, to bring in people into our online programs. Uh, because that is a different demographic that requires different appeals um, and different marketing materials. Uh, I work heavily with uh, retention and academic advising uh, because I work primarily with adult learners and adult learners have a different sensibility than your traditional age student. And so um, a lot of the, the, the student populations that my programs serve um, are non-traditional students. They're adult learners, uh, and they have life commitments that are prioritized over their education. And uh, the number of commitments they have uh, determines their degree of non-traditional status. And so I am tr always trying to figure out ways to appeal to that audience and provide uh, educational opportunities at every level that will onboard them and provide a smooth on-ramp to higher degree programs. And, uh, you know, that scaffolding, I think, is very important. And I think it's important that it's tied to um, companies and, and corporate partnerships so that we understand the knowledge, skills, and abilities that companies are looking for so that we can provide them uh, at a skills level and then also weave it into our curriculum so that when students come out, they are career ready, uh, which has been one of the um, 
arguments against higher ed in recent years is that, uh, you know, we just haven't done a very good job of preparing students for the workforce. Uh, so that's a big part of, um, you know, the work that I do. Uh, okay, so I'm hearing companies, corporate partnerships, career ready, and I'm thinking of those faculty members that we all know very well who cringe at those ideas. Uh -huh. Oh my God, that is not what we do. So I'm wondering, like, first of all, was that an issue for you as a faculty member? And have you had to open up to that and transition into sort of a newer way of thinking? Or have you always sort of seen that? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's certainly something that I've encountered. I have been um, I've been on the firing squad line in front of many faculty at full faculty meetings discussing topics that are not popular, like partnerships <laughs> and, um, you know, doing things like that. And, you know, they argue that, you know, that's what trade schools are for. And, uh, you know, we are, you know, we're giving them much more than just skills based training. And, and I agree with that as a faculty coming from faculty, I understand that, uh, you know, we best prepare our students by providing them um, broad skill sets that will translate to any job, uh, you know, or any career path. For instance, critical thinking, right? If you can critically solve problems today, you're way ahead of the game to jump into almost any industry. Um, you know, everybody nowadays is going to have to work in communication technologies. They're going to have to work in teams. They're going to have to have some intercultural um, and international sensibility uh, and sensitivity. Uh, certainly, they'll need rhetorical sensitivity. They will need, um, you know, a lot of the what's considered soft skills, right? Uh, negotiation skills, uh, you know, ability to communicate. Uh, at, at different levels of analysis. Um, and so it's, it, it's, it's a changing game. And I, I can appeal to faculty members that we're all on the same page because we all want the same thing. We all want to prepare students for what's next and that we are all in the mission of academic excellence. And so in my book, I define that as something that prepares them well for whatever comes next in their you know, educational or career path. Mm. And um, companies, you know, if we're going to do our job well, we should, we should be at least inquiring and working with companies to, um, you know, what are the skills that people need to be successful in your industry? Now, a lot of those have been uh, they've been consistent over time, right? Communication skills, teamwork skills, things of that nature. Some of them, though, are rapidly changing because of changes in technology, um, especially in very specialized, um, you know, computer fields, uh, you know, and programming fields. It's, um, it's, it's very fast-paced. And so we need to keep our finger on the pulse of are we preparing our students for whatever degrees we're graduating students in to then be successful into the the careers that they feed into? Um, if we're and this not is exactly what PhD programs are doing now too, which is just right so hard to like get your head around. Like, 
wow, even the people who are being trained to be academics are now actually getting into like, um, you know, skills for um, that, that industry needs. Um, we're, we're trying to prepare our PhD students for that now. Um, so I don't know. I just wanted to interject about that as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> the last statistic I heard was I think it's 38 or 39 percent of all PhDs that graduate today um, are unemployed um, mm -hmm. and do not find tenure track positions uh, or full time employment. And so that's creating a glut of highly skilled workforce that is then going and adjuncting in online classes. Um, some refer to these as freeway flyers because they take on as many um, online classes at, at, you know, all over the place geographically um, just to make ends meet. Um, and that's one of the reasons for success um, of these for-profit online institutions is because there is mm -hmm. that glut of uh, highly skilled talent that can perform that job role at a low cost. Mm, yeah. And so, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's one of the things that, um, I think that's one of the reconciliations that we have both at my institution and across the, the nation is, uh, you know, students today, a majority of students, their first consideration for in higher ed is, um, uh, what's the cost? And second is what is the time to completion? And third is, is it flexible enough to work around a work schedule or my life circumstances? And so online universities are very, uh, you know, adept at, at accommodating those things and uh, more traditional institutions are not. And they're coming to grips with that. So I guess I want to go back to that original question about you specifically and your story. Um, you have. Um, have you always been more flexible around this stuff than some of your colleagues, or is this something you've had to work yourself into? Yeah, um, I, I, I think that it was, it, I had to experience it, Danielle. Um, yeah. And, and let, me, let me give kind of a brief historical um, accounting of yeah. how this evolved. Um, in 2008, I became a full-time faculty member, um, you know, teaching communication. I, I have a PhD in organizational communication, got hired in a speech program at a small private liberal arts college that was, um, and I loved it. Like I thought that was the best, right? I, I had got my, my uh, degree and now I was full, fully employed and, you know, it, it, you know, beat the heck out of making peanuts as a graduate student and, and, you know, working my, my tail off. Um, well, for three years, that was all great. And that was very, um, I was very satisfied professionally, but in 2011, I got pulled in by uh, the Dean of, um, the Dean of new, uh, of the division of new learning. And he said, Hey, I'm, I'm starting a leadership certificate program and I need a communication person to consult with different businesses. And I said, sure. Like I'm always up for making some more money. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, so I sat in and I was the only non-business, uh, faculty in the room 
and I got ended up, I got to know this dean of the Division of New Learning quite well. And he introduced me to a lot of the changes in higher education that were happening. He was um, just got done developing some competency-based programs in the business school. And um, so I did some consulting. And so in working with some of the companies um, and doing some of this corporate training, I realized that what, what kind of a gulf existed between what I was teaching in the classroom and what kind of skills they needed to be successful. Uh, uh, And I'm like, there is a, there's a disconnect here. And if if I was a graduate in my class or my colleagues classes, um, it would be a big learning curve uh, to just step right into these kind of jobs that I'm training people. uh, And it would be, it it would be significant. So it, it got me thinking. And then I got the opportunity with this Dean Um, to develop a brand new graduate program, the Masters of Strategic Communication, with a few colleagues of mine. And um, so we built this brand new program. Uh, It was online. We started from scratch and said, what is the modern student, what do they need? You know, what is the perfect program we could ever imagine? And we we went ahead and built it. And it was a competency-based online program that did not sacrifice full-time faculty interaction and personalization. It was customized content that was project-based that people could use their own work projects as their coursework. Uh, and it was super innovative. And I was super excited about it. And the literally two months after the program began, that dean um, left. And he took he took a job as the dean of uh, <clears throat> of the University of Maryland um, graduate school, and mm. huge huge job. Um, you know he got poached, and he was a talented <laughs> guy. And w- but what happened is it left a vacuum, Danielle. And um, essentially, we just got done creating this brand new program that we were very excited about as faculty members, and suddenly we had zero administrative support. At that same time, we had a brand new president come in. Um, And so it was everything was in flux. And so I actually went to um, my um, my provost and I said, you know what? We didn't just work our tail off to build this thing that is the future of higher ed, in our opinion, just to see it, you know, float away because Mm. we're not we don't have any, you know, administrative structure or support. Well, that I, I, then I started negotiating directly with the president and the provost um, about taking over that person's uh, role. And so I, after like literally two years of advocating for this program, they, um, they gave me the title of Director of Innovative Learning. And what that meant was it was I was basically overseeing all of our online competency based programs. And so I worked closely with my um, deans, the dean counterparts, um, where these programs were housed and uh, basically kind of ran uh, support and cover for these faculty and these programs so that they had a place to live and they wouldn't get, you know, they wouldn't die on the vine. Now, at at this time, we had no admissions vice president. Uh, We actually didn't have one for six years. 
And so um, admissions was struggling. So I got heavily involved in that. I um, see. And I, you know, I got put on the admissions steering committee, which was um, the provost and the director of financial aid, student success, the provost's office, myself. And I got to learn all about um, retention, admissions, recruiting, the funnel. I learned everything there was to know about um, our admissions processes. And that was very informative, I got to tell you. In the midst of this, um, the reason why I was able to negotiate a position um, flat out was because I brought in a massive corporate partner, um, Discover Financial Services. And what I did was I worked with them and we delivered corporate training to them. And then I articulated it into our degree program, our Bachelor's of Business Administration program, and then negotiated a separate contract for Discover to pay the full way for a select group of high potential employees. And we would customize all of the curriculum to what Discover wanted. Okay. Ah. And so, yeah, it was a great, um, it was called the LEAP program, the Leadership Education Advancement Program. And it was only for high potential employees. Um, and so that gave me the leverage to say, hey, if I go away, so does this corporate partner. And so does all that revenue that they're bringing to us. Totally. Awesome. Um, and that's how I got my first um, assignment. And then um, then there was years of turmoil from like 2015 to 2018. There was a lot. There was, you know, a couple presidents, uh, you know, a, a, you know, three provosts. And it was just survival. And I just kind of held on and tried to protect the, you know, these programs that I, I felt very strongly about, um, you know, but in the course of doing that, I got dragged into everything from financial aid and accounting and you name it. Um, and I learned kind of big picture how the whole university operates. And that was a, that was very eye opening, And I saw how things implicated uh, one another. And, and as a result, I, I got added to the Dean's Council. And in the midst of this, I started doing even more consulting with different businesses, signing up more corporate partners, um, you know, for different, you know, corporate trainings and things. Um, and some have, have been successful and some have fizzled. It's kind of the nature of it. Um, but basically, because we're resource constrained, I act as a business development officer sometimes. Mm. Um, I act as, you know, the, the, the lead for, you know, institutional partnerships. Um, so it's, you know, my job has spanned just a crazy, uh, you know, area, if you will. And so everybody here knows me and I know everybody else, which makes it easy. Um, but it also has resulted in identity confusion because people have a sense of what I do, but they can't pinpoint exactly what I do. Mm -hmm. And so if asked, they'd say, oh, James works with online programming or James is into competency-based education or James does corporate partnerships, depending on what department, well, they'll give you a different answer. Um, you know, but I definitely have my, uh, my fingers, uh, embedded across the campus, which is both good and bad. Right. Mm -hmm. um, 
And um, I think as a college, we're trying to find ourselves and what our niche is in, um, in the coming years because um, we can't keep operating the same way that we've always been operating. Uh, and, and so in the course of that, um, you know, I'm, I've been added to the lead, uh, the president's leadership council so that I can give the, the president direct feedback about things that I'm seeing, um, from my perspective that, um, and directions that I think we should be going and decisions that get made, um, for the institution. So, um, I've had, you know, I've had incredible opportunities. Um, for all of you Game of Thrones fans, I think Littlefinger was the one who coined that chaos is a ladder, and it certainly can be uh, in, in situations like mine where there's a lot of chaos going on. There were opportunities for my career to um, evolve um, mm. and progress. And, uh, you know, it, the latest iteration is professional and continuing education. Okay, so how do you manage all the chaos, all the uncertainty, the sort of slipperiness of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess, hmm, my question is like, what does it feel like to be in a job like this versus the job you were in, in your sort of comfortable faculty position where things were certain and you only had to pay attention to your work and your department and yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, like what, tell me what it feels like to be where you are now versus where you were then. Yeah. It's, it's light years away. I mean, <laughs> there, I mean, as a faculty member, I knew what my job was. Um, I knew, I knew I had a level of, of security and comfort in consistency. Um, I, I knew what to expect. Uh, I knew the cadence of things. Uh, I knew what I had to get done and when I needed to get it done by. And none of that is the case anymore. Every day is a new day. It is, everything is, um, ambiguous. Uh, you know, everything is, um, kind of free floating and, um, it, it's contingent. I, I, I think is the best word I could use. Um, you know, it, it, it so much depends on, you know, resources and, um, what, what other institutional commitments are being made. Um, now there's advantages and disadvantages of both things. I, I think lots of people like security at a very basic level. Um, they like, um, knowing what their job is and being able to perform it, but that can also, um, get boring. Um, it would have, for me, I, I'm pretty certain of that. I would have gotten bored with it, um, over time. And I, I, I certainly can see how I could just kind of create a, a machine that kind of with minor modifications each semester, just keep churning out the same old product. And I don't think that would have done me any good. And I don't think it would have done the students any good. Um, but today, uh, there's a lot less, there's a lot more uncertainty with my job, but it also gives me, I have more agency. So if I think that I need to move in a certain direction, I can do it. Um, you know, I need to let my, my boss, my provost know, and I need her sign off. Um, but ultimately like I can scan what's out there and I can say, we need to move in this direction. We need to create this certificate. We need to address this market need, both 
internally to Utah or um, outside of Utah. Um, you know, these are the populations we want to target. Um, that's an incredible amount of work. Um, and there's no end to it, right? It's, it doesn't have boundaries. And so I think one of the most important jobs that I have is to create my own boundaries so I don't lose my mind. Mm, yeah. You know, I, I think that's, that's, I, I didn't know that I had to do that until after I'd done it to a certain degree where I had to say, no, I can't do everything. Um, I can't chase every student. I can't chase every market niche. I just can't do it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're too small. We're too understaffed, under-resourced. And so I had to prioritize and say, this is the, my defined boundaries given my resources um, and time. And I'm going to do the best I can to make these programs and these things succeed. Um but I'll be honest, right now I'm still in the building phase, but I have, you know, in the last few years, I've signed some pretty big partnership agreements. I've done some, um, you know, some things that have, I think are going to be foundational to helping the institution take the next step uh, in serving um, the populations we need to, to be, um, you know, to be viable moving forward. Um, but you know, I'll be honest with you, some days I'm just, you know, pounding my head against the wall. Um, and, you know, other days are great. I, I'm seeing mm -hmm. progress. Um, mm -hmm. It's just different. Um, I, I like it because I have more agency and creativity in my current role. Um, but I also run into more bureaucracy. I run into... Mm, uh, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, there, there are things I want to do that we just can't do because people don't buy into it. Um, and I, I need to be um, patient. Uh, I need to um, be very organized and strategic about uh, what things I'm investing my time and energy into it at any given point in time, what times to push, what, time, what times to fall back. Um, you know, it's, it's always an, it's a constant negotiation, uh, you know, in my current role and, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, it's become second nature now, Danielle, after, you know, six years of this, but I'm ready to, um, I'd like to enter a maintenance phase, which I haven't <laughs> yet. Because I, I bet I'm exhausted just hearing about it. Yeah, I mean, I've been jumping through, you know, I've been, I've been basically starting new with every new president or provost. Mm. Um, my current provost has been here two years, and that's the longest provost we've had since 2012. And so um, I feel like at least I've got a grounding, and I know that um, the work I do today, um, you know, I can see some of it through and that there's support for that. Um, and that is encouraging. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that the board of trustees has committed to this administration and that's, that's good because I need to build my stuff up and then I need to grow it. And to do that, I need, um, you know, I need, I need bodies, I need money. Um, I need, you know, the, the work of people from across campus. So, um, you, you have to string together some successes for them to invest in you. And that's what I'm doing. Um, and I'm, I'm doing just that. But at some point, 
Um, you know, I need a, a capital investment that is going to be significant enough to grow my area so that, um, you know, we can be a significant contributor to the college moving forward. Okay. How, um, how committed do you feel to this, to finding, um, to, to building and growing and doing like all the things you want to do? Like, are those um, goals really, really important to you? Um, would Are you sort of flexible and, and think, eh, if it doesn't work out, you know, I would be okay falling back to faculty. What, tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so to do this job, you have to be all in, okay? okay. Like there's, no, there's no like kind of, I've got a, a toe in the water here. Uh, no, this requires all my effort uh, and my team's effort. Uh, that's just, there is no doubt about that. Um, I, I have retreat rights to faculty, just like all the deans do. Um, so if I want to pull the plug at any time, I can, I can return to faculty if I want, but I don't want to, not now. I, I, I've spent years building mm. something that in my mind is the future of our institution. And, uh, I mean, I, I have zero doubt of that. Okay. The things that I'm working on are things that, um, I'm very confident are the directions that successful universities are going to take. Um, these are the pathways, these, I mean, they all look a little bit different, but ultimately there are some constants and ultimately we need to serve the, you know, the market and the adult learners and non-traditional students. Uh, we need to provide, uh, you know, educational opportunities for them that work for them um, and where they're, light, where they're at in their life circumstance at an affordable cost um, and get them through in a timely manner, um, you know, and I think we're all in the same game. Um, and I, I, I just think that uh, if my institution is going to be really successful, they're going to need my department to um, help them on that path. Um, even if we're not, uh, you know, spearheading something, if it, I think that um, all the deans rely upon me to, um, you know, create new programs, um, build out financial models for sustainability, um, you know, ultimately creating curriculum with faculty that's going to be cutting edge um, and meeting the needs of, of industry. Um, you know, everything I'm doing are things that I think are the future of higher ed, um, not not the past. So, um, and are you able to do it without feeling this insurmountable sense of pressure? Because what you just described feels like a lot of pressure. It is. I. I, I I don't often take a step back and get overwhelmed by it. I just kind of have to keep pushing. Um, you know, it, I mean, it could be overwhelming if I really tried to absorb it all at once, but given the constant changes and turnover, um, I'm actually at a place where there's been some consistency for the last couple of years, which has been um, a, a, you know, more than welcome. Right. Um, I needed some some firm ground in order to start laying this foundation at, where I felt good about it, that it wasn't going to change tomorrow or, or next month or next year. Um, and so in that, I'm very encouraged. And that's where I I'm you know, I really I have 
I have faith, right? I, I trust that the administration has my back to, to continue the work that I'm doing and they're not, it's not going to get flipped on its head again. Um, and so, yeah, all signs point to it being positive. There was a number of years there that um, it was a massive juggling act and there were times that I was overwhelmed. Um, but that's when I really, you know, fell upon the support networks that I built across this institution. And those were critical, right? Uh, I mean, you know, we just talking this stuff through um, the therapeutic value of, of discussing kind of where we were at with a colleague was, um, you know, priceless. I, I, I couldn't have done it without those relationships. And, um, you know, and, and they're just that important, right, to getting through the tough times. Um, I love that. Yeah. And I think we have a hard time in academia realizing that we have a hard time because we tend to be siloed and isolated and all of that. Um, and so I think that's a really good lesson. It's something <laughs> we all need to hear. Yeah. Um, it's an exercise in resilience. Like if you can fall back on other people, you can be more resilient. Um, so what are your, your advice for other small liberal arts colleges who are doing this sort of soul searching? Um, what would you tell those um, who are doing similar work to you or who are wanting to do similar work to you? Yeah. Um, what, where do they start? Um, if they're at colleges that haven't made as much progress as yours has. Um, I think that, you know, I think first and foremost, you need to be adaptable. Um, you need to be able to react to institutional forces um, internally, right? With, uh, you know, senior administrators, faculty, um, you know, different trends um, and processes internally, but also what are the trends in higher education? Make sure that there is alignment between what you're doing and the, the trends in higher education in the market. Um, I'd say that's critical. I think it's incredibly important that anybody working in higher education get really comfortable working um, in ambiguous environments and being decisive and making good uh, data-informed decisions, uh, you know, so that you commit to a path and then you go for it. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I just think at some point you need to take that leap of faith and you're not going to be certain in every decision. Um, but, uh, hand in hand with that, I would say, um, be willing to admit when you're wrong and mm. to, um, backtrack. And, you know, if, if you make a mistake, um, you know, acknowledge it and own it. Uh, I, you know, we learn best through failure. Um, you know, failure is a touchdown to progress and there's nothing wrong with failure. So I would say, get comfortable with looking at failure as um, a necessary step toward uh, where you wanna go. That I think is really, really important and a really difficult lesson for a lot of people to learn. They see failure as a bad thing. Um, you need to actually look at it as, a, as um, a necessary step in the progression of either your career or the institutional progress. Uh, and so um, those are some of the, you know, some of the things that I would say would be really, really important, um, you know, as you try and navigate these waters, 
if you find yourself in an environment like mine. And to a certain degree, I think most people can identify um, with, with, with some of those things, unless you're in a massive bureaucratic in, uh, you know, machine uh, with 50,000 students, right? Um, mm. And you're kind of stuck in your silo and you, know, you just have to look at um, you know, who your boss is and whether you're happy with it or not. Uh, you know, with the direction that you're going. So um, that's, awesome. some, that's some of the things I'd say. Okay. Anything, any last thing to make this conversation feel complete to you? Um, anything you want to say about your career, about your journey, about uh, advice for others, anything else? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I think at the end of the day, you have to have confidence in yourself. And I do, I have confidence in myself and my abilities. And I know that, um, if given an opportunity, um, I'll make it happen. I'll, 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 you know, it, it, I'm not sure how, and, you know, but I'm, I'm confident that I'm going to give it my best shot and that, um, no matter what happens, uh, I can feel good about it. And, uh, you know, that's where I'm at in my, you know, uh, in my career and, and in my job and there's no certainties, but, um, I have to fall back on something. And I, I do have, uh, confidence that I'm going to do everything in my power to make, uh, my department, my area succeed and be a leader, uh, on this campus. I love it. Okay. Tell us if you're, if you're willing. <laughs> Tell us where we can find you. If other people want to reach out to you or want to, you know, continue a conversation like this, would you be willing to talk to other people uh, no, about absolutely. this? No, I, 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 I would be more than happy to. Um, you know, I, I do this with a lot of institutions. Um, I do a lot of consulting and leadership and, and uh, everything from strategic positioning to uh, competency-based education. And so I'm always giving uh, tips and advice um, to different people and institutions. And so I'd happy I'd be happy to Danielle. They, people can email me. Um, they can text me on my cell phone, right? Uh, and say, hey, let's set up a chat. Um, I'd be more than happy to, um, you know, discuss this stuff. Um, I think we're stronger together than uh, than not. So. Um, I'm happy to help. I mean, at the end of the day, um, if I can help other people and be of service to others, then, um, then I'm doing something right. Okay. Uh, so if people want to get in touch with James, you can email him, you can get in touch with me and through yep. me, you can find him. Totally. And, um, you're the best. Thank you so much for doing this, James. Thank Danielle, you, thank you. anytime. I, any, <laughs> anything for you, Danielle. <laughs> Oh, I so know it too. I <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. This normally would be the time I tell you where you can follow me on social media, but I'm mostly quitting social media. It's the self-compassionate thing to do. I'm still on LinkedIn, but uh, I rarely post. So don't follow me. Send me a connection request and send me a message. And as always, you can schedule a 20-minute consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. And 
I'm sending a wish that you too will do the self-compassionate thing, whatever that is for you. Take care.